Uh, yeah, my name's Tom, and I have a, a ministry in Connecticut sharing Jesus with teenagers, uh, specifically public schools and youth events and radio and whatever else I can get my hands into, and uh, have a real affinity with Anthony and Irene, uh, love missions and evangelism and music, and so I guess this is a Mission Sunday, Missions and Evangelism Sunday. Uh, so we're going to talk this morning a little bit about, um, about what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to give your life to him. But let's just, uh, let's just have a word of prayer as we start, and, and then we'll get right into it, okay? So Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness that, uh, that when we were your enemies, you loved us, and you purchased our lives with your blood, um, and that we truly deserve to die for the things we do wrong. And I'm so, we're so thankful this morning that you chose to die for us and take our place so that we can be restored with you. And we celebrate that this morning. And we give you our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So quick plug, shameless. Brought my re-released book, Schizophrenic. It's my story of how I came to Christ. And along with Anthony's CD, Acoustia, it's in the back. So if you want to do that. Dude, can you believe I just did that? That's amazing. I also have superhero powers. Um, I'm going to read you guys a little scripture from Ephesians, and if you have your Bibles and you like to read them at church, um, Ephesians chapter 3, and really, for people who like to memorize scripture, this is a really good one to memorize. This is also a really good one, really popular text, talk about God's love, and um, it really strikes me as a text that reminds me that whatever I'm personally going through or enduring or whatever circumstances seem to be bubbling up in, in my life, that there is a greater picture at work here. There is a greater reality I like to call it the bird's eye view. And, and kids who play video games with race cars know what I'm talking about. You know, they have the race car games where you can actually feel like you're in the driver's seat, just like you're driving a car. And you can then hit, you know, the X button or the Y button or whatever, and then it changes the view so you're above the car. And then you can go hit the other button, and it gives it an even bigger view where you're kind of way up top as if you're following the car in a helicopter or something. And sometimes when you're in the driver's seat and you're looking down the road, Sometimes life seems pretty difficult, and sometimes the things that are right in front of your face seem like, I don't really know how I'm going to get through this. But when you kind of sort of switch your view to a bird's eye view and look down, you can sort of see what's coming ahead and go, oh, well, you know, it's only just a little bit of trouble, and if I can just kind of move past that, I get to the end where I'm going, where I'm trying to go. Does that make sense? Ephesians chapter 3 says... <clears throat> Starting in verse 14, and this is Paul writing, 
For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What an exciting kind of get your groove on idea to read. That, you know, there's this power in the love of Jesus in his spirit that is so unfathomable, unfathomable that I can't always articulate what God's doing in my life. In fact, that love is so unending that sometimes I, I rest in it, even when I sort of feel restless. It's, it's bigger than me, and, and I have access to this thing, even though sometimes it doesn't make sense what God is doing, and sometimes I feel lost, and sometimes my emotions get the best of me. Sometimes I feel afraid. Sometimes I feel like I don't know where I'm going, but yet God's love sort of abounds and encompasses the whole of my life because I've given my heart to Him. And so because of this and because I'm coming to know Jesus more and more every day, and as I realize that love, it sort of wakens me up to the reality that's at work in, in, in me, that, that this love is so deep and so wide and so long that there's, there's nowhere I can run to sort of come to its end. You know, there's no distance I can travel to sort of kind of just fall outside the outskirts of where God's grace ends, because it's sort of endless. Um, I'm 29 years old. I just had a birthday not too long ago. Feeling 30. Nathaniel, my media guy, wave your hand, Nathaniel. See, there's Nathaniel. He makes those designs and cool stuff like that. And Nathaniel reminded me that, oh, you're not just 29, you're working on year 30. And it's like, oh, man, 30 is like a cringing number. And I do youth ministry, and I think about, you know, the age of irrelevancy in the life of a teenager. And I think 30 is that magic number. But, I, you know, I, I, I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. And I remember um, sitting in services just like this one um, early in my walk with Christ. And I remember thinking... I really want to. I want. I really want to share Jesus with everybody I meet. And I remember thinking, um, and I, because I'm younger, I can do it so much better than that guy up there. And now I think I'm turning into that guy. <laughs> I'm nervous about that. But but 
Here's the thing. When I was 16 years old, I really, um, I really wanted to know who I was supposed to be. And I felt like I was getting a lot of mixed messages. I felt like I'd come to, you know, my parents dragged me to a little church in um, Storrs, Connecticut by Yukon. And I remember uh, being um, around other teenagers who called themselves Christians. And I remember early on thinking, you know, my life, um, their lives didn't really match up with kind of the message that I was being told at church what a Christian's supposed to be like. I also remember when my parents moved, sort of moved me into the inner, it's not like inner city like New York, but just more of an urban area for school. Lots of, lots of um, Hispanics and Puerto, Puerto Ricans, blacks, and you know, I'm a Japanese guy. I might look Spanish, I'm not Spanish. Uh, real minority, only Japanese guy in school. And I don't look Japanese, I don't act Japanese. That makes it even more difficult because I was really struggling. Who, what's my identity here? And there was a real clash of the cultures in middle school and a lot, of, a lot of little pockets. You know, obviously, if you speak a certain language, you hang out with people who speak your language and a lot of bullying going around and a lot of, um, a lot of wrestling for power, even in middle school. And I remember dreading going to school because it would start first thing in the morning on the school bus. It would carry on throughout the day. The wrestling with the teachers, the wrestling with students to students, the wrestling with administrators. Then, of course, the ride home, which was equally difficult. Uh, and sometimes I felt like I was in a war zone. And, 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 and maybe fifth grade, it was easy to believe the ideas that my parents said about what it meant to be a Christian. You're supposed to turn the other cheek. You're supposed to love people. You're supposed to love your enemies, right? All this stuff you learn in Sunday school. And in sixth grade, the reality set in that I only have so many cheeks. <laughs> so, so you get bullied, you get picked on, you get taken advantage of, and you're supposed to do all these things. And what's the reason why? Why do I have to keep turning all these cheeks? What, because that's what good people do? Good people get taken advantage of? Good people get abused? Good people get, you know, bullied? Is this the way it's supposed to be? So sixth grade, I said, I'd had enough of this stuff. I'm not going to be this guy. I don't really see the power in the gospel of being bullied and picked on for your whole life. Even Jesus, he got bullied and picked on, and he died. That stinks. Like, why am I going to follow his example? That's not power. You know the guy over there stealing all the lunch money? He's got a little bit of power. Taking people's shoes? He's got a little bit of power. He's got the stuff he wants. He's got money in his pocket. That seems like a better way to go. Because I certainly don't have any money in my pockets. He took it. And I'm, the Christian, I'm supposed to be the Christian guy, you know? So started my rebellion, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. And, and it was a rough area. So, you know, even though I wasn't the worst kid, I, I'd, I'd um, made enough bad decisions by the time I was eighth grade that I needed to be put in a mental hospital. So I lived there for a while, uh, not a very long while, but... During that transition, that's when God started speaking to me and, and started not speaking to me like with an actual audible voice because I know you think, oh, he's in a mental hospital. He's hearing voices. He's absolutely crazy. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was, it was more like, I'm going to do it again, aren't I? I'm going to knock this thing over. It was more like 
I felt really betrayed that my parents would let me end up in a place like this. I felt really hurt that um, they weren't willing to take all the abuse that was coming out of my mouth and out of my actions anymore, and that they were pretty much willing to sign me over to the state and let me take my own chances as maybe as a form of tough love. I don't know. Um, well, I do know. You know, they were, they were at their end, and I pushed it to the limit. And so I began to uh, look at my own life and, and wrestle with these questions. You know, who, who am I, and who am I trying to be? Am I, what is the result, what is the sum end to all this grief and strife? Do I obtain respect and power by pushing my way to the top? And do I have to keep fighting for that for the rest of my life? Do, do I have to earn it by really wrestling for it? Do I have to be somebody by bullying or by stealing like I see all these other kids doing? And, and, and what is this whole point to having faith anyway? What is the whole point to Jesus? Is it that his example is that of a good person? And so because he's a good person and I obviously have hurt people and I've been hurt, that by being a good person and following his example, that it would ultimately make me feel okay inside? And, and well, you know, all this bad stuff happens, but at least I'm a good person, right? Or is there something more? Is there something more to be grasped? Now, during this time, um, you know, I'd made lots of poor decisions, and, and um, I'd also decided to challenge my parents and since they were going to lock me up, I was going to try and push the limit. And I'd gotten some legal advice. I was trying to emancipate my parents, which means, like, divorce your parents. Pretty cool idea, right? Not really that cool. I put them through a lot of stress and tried to seek, um, tried to seek easy way out, outs. And I tried to drop out of school. And during the midst of all that, I got invited to a meeting just like something like this. And there was this weird guy there. It was a really kind of edgy meeting. Uh, he kind of looked like Anthony, but a little more edgy than Anthony. I know Anthony's edgy, but this guy, a little older. But he was bald like this, except he let the hair in the back grow a little longer. I mean, a lot longer, actually. It was like a long white ponytail. It kind of looked like a Jedi. It was kind of cool. He's <laughs> like long white hair, bald up here. He was, he was daring young people to come and get prayer. And he was saying, I believe so strongly you're going to meet God that when you come up here for prayer, I'm going to give everyone who comes up 10 bucks. <laughs> it was crazy. You need a little bag full of money, put it on the table. And young people were like, long lines of people coming for prayer. It's like, hey, he doesn't say he doesn't pay to go to church. Right? And I didn't want to go up. I sat in the back and, uh, and just hoped that I could observe what was going on and and not get drawn into the craziness. But sure enough, his, his eyes, they were a little bit like a snake, just kind of scanning the room, looking around the room, somehow made contact with mine, and, and he called me out. And on that day, he, he said, I believe there's a special call on your life, young man. I believe God is going to use you to do things like what I'm doing. Now, I don't do everything that guy does. He's pretty crazy. But... He called me out, he had me come forward, and the end result of the story is, by the end of these series of meetings, I became a Christian. 
and I gave my life to Jesus. And it was so disturbing because, like, I had my ways and I had my plans and I had my thoughts about how things should be. And then there was this whole sort of spiritual experience where I agreed to pray and now there's somebody else inside here, like, pushing his way, you know, Jesus is a gentleman, he doesn't push his way around, but you know, there's somebody else in your space, you know, and if you've ever had a roommate, someone moves in with you, like college kids, you have a roommate, and then they have their own schedule, and you have yours, and sometimes it interferes with what you're trying to do, you know, so having Jesus in there was very uncomfortable, but I definitely noticed changes, you know, I definitely noticed creation, and I noticed some songs that were kind of older, like hymns, and I was like, oh, that, that really has some meaning to me now. And as God began to work in my heart, I began to realize the things I was leaving behind. And that sort of compelled me to start telling my friends about it. Like, you know why I'm not doing that anymore? Because I had this encounter with God. And he came into my life. And number one, he forgave me for the things I did wrong. He released me from the guilt and the shame of every bad thing I'd said to other people, every bad action I'd done to other people, every bad example I set for my little sister, every harsh curse that I said to my parents that shamed them, embarrassed them. You know, it was interesting to see how easy it was after surrendering to live the life. Not because I was, became religious, but because suddenly I had something to live for. And not just something, someone. And then as God began to break my life apart and I had to pay for the consequences of things, because just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you don't have consequences to the bad things you did. Yeah, I had to work through some of those things. But, but as God broke that life apart and began to give me other things to live for, the rebuilding process began to happen. And as that rebuilding process began to happen, I began to... Praise God all the more because things that I didn't think were within my grasp through Jesus Christ suddenly were accessible to me. The first thing was a college education. I absolutely bombed my SATs. I think I got like a nine-something. A low nine-something. So I wasn't too... Uh, thrilled with myself as my faith in Christ began to grow and I realized how much time I'd wasted. Now, my friend Josh, wave your hand, Josh. Oh, I'm sorry for embarrassing you. Josh and I went to a Christian school together for a year during that transition year when I became a Christian and, and um, we had a geometry class and midway through the semester, the teacher, Mrs. Sacalericus, can you say that five times fast? She, she realized that I didn't know my multiplication tables. And so she made the whole geometry class learn multiplication tables together as a refresher because we were going to be doing some very hard maths. And I remember, even Josh, I remember him complaining, Christian school sucks, man. Oh, all we do is learn things. If we were in public school, we'd learn this. We wouldn't be doing this childish stuff. And I remember thinking, man, I am so thankful that this woman's not embarrassing me. She's giving me some some grace so I can sort of catch up with everybody else. And I, I, really, I really appreciated a Christian school and 
And at the end of that year, I felt strong enough to go back to public school and face my friends and face my past and share my faith. So that's what I did. I went back to public school my senior year. I only needed two classes to graduate. And I stood in the cafeteria for six periods a day and I shared my faith with all my friends, all the kids who bullied me, all the kids who uh, I bullied, and, and the kids who also weren't popular and the kids who were I mean, I was, I was hard at it. And the transformation was so drastic. I'll tell you what, Christian colleges started to notice. And by the end of that school year, I was offered a full ride to Bible college. So here's the deal. You know, giving your life to Christ doesn't mean you get a full ride to Bible college. I'm not, or, or any college for that matter. That doesn't work like that. But here's what God does with a life. When you say yes to Jesus and to his way, and you say, I'm going to not just ask you to save me from this life and receive forgiveness and grace and a new beginning and hope, hope that I get to go to heaven someday and escape the flames of hell and all that stuff. When you say yes to Jesus, you're offering him the opportunity to live inside of you. And when God comes into your heart, and begins to transform it, guess what? You know, you ever heard someone say, ain't nobody going to change me? You know, well, you, you know, you can, you, can, uh, you can tell me all this good stuff, and you can tell me about how I should live my life, and, and you can tell me that I'm not a nice person, but, you know, this is the way I am. You're going to just have to accept me for who I am. Well, here's the thing, like, who we are and who we are in our sin, they're fused together, but when Jesus comes in, he sort of like cracks that nut. And the sin part of us that was like weighing us down and holding us back and even limiting who we can become, that sort of starts to die. And new life is born inside of us. And I can't tell you what God can do with your life personally. All I can do is tell you what he's done in my life. And when you surrender to him, the sky really is the limit. So I decided, Lord, I'm going to go wherever you send me. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. I just want to tell people what you've done in my life. And, and after Bible college, I would met this wonderful girl from England. And I shared Jesus with her. And guess what? She became my wife. I was so excited because she was like hot and she was English. She had the accent thing and she was smart. She was, she's a microbiologist. Uh, I really struck cold. But it was because of Jesus. She was attracted to me because she saw the life of Christ living in me. And I shared my faith with her. And I remember one day she even said to me, man, it must be so cool to do what you do, like to live the way you live. And I just, I just wish God wanted to save me too. I guess not. I was like, what are you talking about? And anything for an evangelist, someone say, you know, they're not meant to be saved. Oh, that's, that's going to set you off on I was so excited to share Jesus with her. When she became a Christian, her life was transformed too. And, and some of the things she was doing, she left behind. And other things that were part of her personality were also fused with faith. And let me tell you, when a, a scientist receives Jesus, what an ally. Right? Because they can explain things and they can talk about creation versus evolution and they can do all this cool stuff. I was, it was so awesome. 
And we had so many dreams together. We, we wanted to see the world. We wanted to, and we did. We lived in Europe, and we lived here in America, and we traveled to places, and we shared our faith with people. And uh, two years into our marriage, she, uh, she started winking at me all the time. And I thought, this, this must be the secret to marriage. You put in a couple years, and you love the Lord, and then it starts to get good. <laughs> well, coming to find out, all that winking was an indication that something was pushing up against her optic nerve. And took her to the eye doctor. And that eye doctor's appointment turned into two days in the hospital where we discovered a tumor the size of my fist in the middle of her brain. Amy was 23 when that happened. And there's my buzzer, so I'm in a good place right now. Uh, Amy was 23. I was 24. For the next four years, we fought like hell to get through this cancer. And it was really aggressive. She had nine brain surgeries. She had chemo multiple times, radiation. And I don't even think the worst things came from the cancer. I think they came from the things that we were trying to do to get rid of cancer. We lost our house. Uh, we, we had to move in with my parents. We, uh, you know, lost high-paying jobs. Medical insurance, believe it or not, they kept you off after about a month of cancer. So even my Cigna medical insurance wasn't really enough to handle the undertaking of what we were going to endure. And we're talking not just the mother load of sickness and disease, we're talking the mother load of medical bills and debt. We're talking millions of dollars. So I remember that day that I found out about the tumor. The doctor, uh, who didn't end up doing any of the brain surgeries because he was too scared to ruin her life. She said, she's too beautiful. She's too young. You're going to have to go see someone else. He took me down into the basement of the hospital and um, we went into this room and there was sort of TVs all over the wall and her skull and her different layers of, you know, her brain were on the TVs and they were all turning. It was kind of like a TV show. It was kind of weird. And he was showing me the cancer, showing me the tumor. And he said, you know, I think it's best if you, you tell your wife. And I was like, oh my goodness. 24 years old. I, I walked into the elevator, and I hit the button to go back up to her floor, and I remember just hitting the stop button and collapsing in the elevator and going, like, Lord, if I ever called on your name, I'm calling on your name right now. If I ever needed a friend, I need you right now. If I ever needed a savior, will you come to my rescue right now? What am I going to do? And it was so quiet. It was so quiet. You know, Amy 
passed away Easter Sunday, or Easter Saturday, just before Easter Sunday. And I was scheduled to share the gospel, the good news, that's what gospel means, with a thousand people at Calvary Chapel of Southeastern Connecticut at a combined service celebration the next day, which I did. And I was sort of waiting for the opportunity. Because when the rubber meets the road, and when push comes to shove, and when life does what life does, all signs point to a loving Savior. And let me tell you why. When I was a teenager and I got radically saved, I remember praying a prayer one night in my room after praying the sinner's prayer a bit. And I asked God to show me that I would be able to experience just in some small way what he feels. I remember asking God for that. And I remember regretting asking for that after I prayed because I automatically felt in my spirit that God was going to answer that prayer. And he did so through the life of my wife. When I met her, I knew the minute I met her, she was going to be my wife. I loved her with a love that I never knew. And I wanted to give my life for her. I served her with every ounce of strength I had in my body. I neglected everything I had to give her a chance to live. It hurt so much to watch her die. It's still so new. And then the Lord teaches me a lesson. And he says to my heart, if you feel this way about one human being, how much more so do I feel for all my children who are lost in their sin, who are dying without a savior? without a hope for a better future. And I've felt this way from the beginning till now for every single human being who's ever lived on this planet. And this profound thought hit me like a ton of bricks that the love of Jesus is so wide and long and so deep and so far-reaching that it's big enough to cover not just the multitude of my sins, but all, all of us who've gone our own way and done our own thing. He's given us all the same opportunity to leave this life of death and sickness and disappointment. And all of life here on earth seems to point, seems to draw us to believe that there's got to be something more than this. Right? Because if this life is all there is to live for, young people, you're going to have a very disappointing future. But if there is something more than this, then guess what? 30 is just a number. A number upon a number upon a number of many, many years. And, and there will be a day 
There'll be many days that I'm going to be in heaven with my Savior and my wife who trusted in Jesus through the end. And I'm going to say, do you remember that 50-year gap where I didn't see it? Barely. That was a million years ago. <laughs> Jesus died to give us new life. And the reality is 100% of human beings are being deprived of life daily as our bodies waste away. I don't care if you have a lot of money or if you've never seen a hot meal in your whole life. Death is the great equalizer of all men and women and children, teenagers. 100% of all humanity will die. But here's the good news. 2,000 years ago, God had engineered into his structure a plan to not leave his creation the way we are. And that from the beginning of when he was even setting up the very framework of how the universe would hang, he was also engineering a choice. So that we wouldn't be robots. So that we wouldn't just worship our creator because he made us and we just were programmed to do so that way. But, but that he wanted us to respond and to know how deep and how great and how wonderful it is to be in relationship with him. And sometimes the only way to know that is to experience death firsthand and loss firsthand and suffering firsthand, and sickness to get right in its face and see it firsthand so we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is not what I want. And I don't think it's what you want either. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're going to live in a nicer house or in a nicer neighborhood and go to a nicer school? Well, I don't know about all that. But I do know that there is a bird's eye view that God's looking down on this thing and saying, if you can just push through and trust me, I have a glorious future waiting for you. And those few short years that you might feel deprived and neglected and abused and downtrodden and beaten are just momentary because this life is wasting away. It's just a vapor. It's a mist. It's here and then it's gone. So hang in there. And if you're going to suffer, suffer for me. If you're going to hurt, then hurt with me. If you're going to Endure and struggle, struggle with me because I am making myself like you. And that's what Jesus did. He came to this earth as a man, but he was God, and he set aside some of that divinity that could have fixed everything right there on the spot so that he could walk with us and know our struggle and experience pain and experience abandonment so that he can say, I identify with you in your condition. But at the same time, at the right time, as he's engineered this amazing plan for our future, 
He stepped in and pulled back in that divinity and along with our sin. And when those two chemicals combine, it's like water and oil. And when sin was abolished and death was in the ground, all that was left was for God to rise up from the dead in the flesh and look around at us and say, listen, I have just taken it all on and I've defeated it. Death has died today. And if you'll put your trust in me, there'll be no shame, there'll be no guilt, There'll be no more death. If you can hang in there, and as a promise, as, as a deposit, little cash advance, so you know there's a little more coming, I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can be encouraged, so that you can feel my presence, and so that even when everything is going wrong, you can know that I am still in control. I still hold the keys to death and to the grave and to Hades. And no human being that has ever lived has gotten to live without my knowing and without my engineering, and without my care, and without my intervention. So today I offer you this opportunity. Anthony, would you like to come and join me one last time before you go back? Anthony and I got to do a lot of good ministry together this year. I'm going to miss you, man. So let's bow our heads. You know, if you have never before, I mean, you look, look at your own heart. You're the only one who knows. If you've never before surrendered and said, you know what, Jesus? I am really messed up. And not only is my life messed up, I make up messed up decisions. I don't choose rightly. I don't always see things from your perspective. And that leads me to choose wrongly often. And I know it upsets you, and I know it violates you, and I know it hurts you. So today I'm going to make a different decision. Today I'm going to choose to live for you to ask you to come into my life, to ask you to come, not just as a convenience so that I know that I'm, I'm not just going to die and waste away, but, but I'm going to ask you to come into my life and really make a change today. Come into my heart. Give me your spirit so that I can have this hope that this is not all there is. So Jesus, please forgive me and come into my life now. And not just as a Savior, but as my Lord. I want to do things your way from here on out. And maybe you're a Christian today already. And, um, and you've, you've really been struggling and you've been feeling a little, little, little persecuted, a little suffering. And it's taking you off task. I believe there's a few of us here today that are in this situation. And you'd say to Jesus, Father in heaven, I, 
I, I do believe in you, and I, and I do know you're at work in my life, but sometimes I just get so discouraged. I get so frustrated with the way things are. I see injustice around me. I see people getting cheated. I, I feel cheated sometimes, and I, sometimes it just makes me mad, and I, maybe I feel bitter. I, feel, I just feel upset about the way things are, and, and, and I'm sorry that I haven't fully trusted you. I'm sorry I haven't. I'm sorry I haven't looked to you. Please, please restore me today. Please give me a new beginning now. And I thank you, Lord, for the chance after chance that your, your love is so wide and so deep and so long. That endless love, Father, just wash me, make me new now. I think there's others of you here who maybe are a little more advanced in your faith and you've been trusting God for a while and, and today you, today's message has kind of awakened something new inside of you and you're saying, you know what, you know what, I'm not satisfied just, uh, just, just living the Christian life. You know, I really want my life to matter and I realize this world has nothing for me and I, I'm going to decide right now to live passionately for Jesus and tell others about him and live my life intentionally so that when I get to heaven, my life truly has made a difference. And I pray this way. Father, I feel you closer now than ever before. Would you take my life to the ends of the earth? Open me up, Father, as a drink offering. Pour me out. Use my life in this meaningful way. I am tired of being like everybody else, and I'm ready to make a stand for you. So if you've responded in any of these three ways today, I'd like you to let me know about it by slipping your hand up in the air and just let me know that's you. One, two, anybody else? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Wonderful. Twelve. Praise God. Father, thank you, Lord, for the hearts that are soft to you. And I ask, Lord, today it would be a new beginning for all who made a decision today. Would you, would you let your presence just flow today and just give us that regeneration we're looking for, that refreshment we're looking for, so that we can continue trusting and serving and living a life for you. And we just celebrate together these decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a card here, and Pastor Rich would really appreciate it. If you're making a decision, it, you know, there's an opportunity to write your name, address, and do you regularly attend this church? If not, do you go somewhere else? You can write all that in there. And then at the bottom, there's these three symbols. There's, I prayed to receive Jesus for the first time today. I've received Jesus before, but I want to recommit. I, I, I don't believe anything, but I'd like some more information. There's an opportunity for that. And then on the back, if you made that last response, just write on the back, I'm ready to be a world changer. Just write it. Pastor Rich is looking for people like that all the time. So write that right on the back, big letters. And then, I don't know, maybe you can put them in the offering box or just hand them to one of the ushers or give it to Rich, Pastor Rich himself. They'd really appreciate that because they're looking... They're always looking to see what Jesus is doing in this community. And I think Jesus has done a fantastic thing today. Amen?
You got some for us? There's something to celebrate. Let's stand together. It's worship. It's 12 o'clock. I think I did okay on time, right? Okay, good. Okay, wonderful. God bless you guys. Thanks, Tom.